All right. Morning. Uh, my name is Stephen Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, how about this? It's pretty sweet, huh? All right. Uh, we are so thankful to be back in the space after being away for uh, 17 weeks. You know, we still have six more months of construction, as you probably saw, uh, walking in. We've got uh, parking lots to pave still. We need some chairs to get out of the supply chain. Just look around. We need them, like, next week. Oh, that would be great. Uh, turns out they're coming in December, but that's okay. We'll be just fine. Um, but just so much progress has already been made in four months. It's been really cool to see. Uh, a huge thank you. And we had a couple hundred people here this week, uh, volunteers, serving, cleaning, getting all this ready. And we just uh, we appreciate that uh, so much. Just grateful for today uh, and to be in this, in this spot. Uh, this morning, as we start our message, I want you to just imagine with me. I want you to imagine that you're at your home and your kid comes running in or your grandkid or the neighbor kid or some, some kid comes running in your home and they walk up to your counter and they just drop a whole bunch of little rocks on your counter. And they say, ha, look at this. They're so colorful. And you look at this dirt and rock on your counter and you say, oh, great. Thank you, right? Because you're just thinking about the dirt and why did this kid just dump rocks on your counter, right? But because you're a super nice person, let's say you keep those little rocks there on display for a couple of weeks. Well, a couple of weeks later, you've got a friend come over for dinner. And this friend happens to, in their spare time, be a rock expert. And as they're sitting down to dinner, they look at the rocks on your counter and they say, my friend, I, I, think, these, I think these may be gems. And so... You go over to your junk drawer and you pull out a magnifying glass because, of course, you have a magnifying glass <laughs> in your junk drawer. And you walk over to it and he starts looking at it and he says, look, look at this. This, I don't know where they found this, but this is actually a precious stone. It's a precious gem. This is worth so much. Now, I want you to keep that sort of paradigm in mind this morning because I'm going to show you a really similar thing in God's Word in the Bible because I think... For many of us, the gospel, and that's a word that I'm going to use a lot this morning. So let me just uh, define what gospel is, Uh, especially if you're you're kind of newer to church or Christianity. This is a teaching church. We want things to make sense to you. So the gospel is this. The good news, gospel actually means good news. It's the good news that Jesus died for us so that we can be forgiven and much, much more. And so we're actually going to talk about that phrase a lot. So I want you to know what it is when I say the gospel, because I think for a lot of us as Christians, the gospel has become almost like those random rocks that you see on the counter. And for a lot of us, when we hear gospel truths, things like I say to you, God loves you, or God has forgiven you in Jesus, for a lot of us, that doesn't move us emotionally or intellectually a lot more than if I said it rained yesterday, right? By the way, didn't it rain a ton (laughs) this week, right? Okay, hold on, what just happened right there? I just said something about rain, and we're like, oh yeah, right? But when we talk, this is what I'm talking about. When we talk about the forgiveness of God, for so many of us, it's like, oh yeah, rocks on a counter. Okay, why is that? I, I want to submit to you this morning that I think actually for a lot of us, it's because we haven't looked closely enough at these rocks to really study how amazing they are, to see that they actually are gems, Okay, and that's what I want to do as we start actually a new book uh, in the Bible of this morning. We are excited because we are going to be beginning the letter of Ephesians. Uh, Since this is our first week in Ephesians, I want to give you some context on uh, the letter. So 
Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, who's one of the leaders in early uh, Christianity. It was written in the year, we actually know the exact year, uh, 60 AD, which is about 30 years or so after the death and uh, resurrection of Jesus. Paul actually wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. But before he was imprisoned, he had visited Ephesus uh, several times. In fact, he stayed in Ephesus longer than any other city. And he visited a whole lot of cities. In fact, one time he stayed there for over two years. So he's writing a letter to his friends, to his Christian friends. And in part because this city, Ephesus, is a hard place to be a Christian. One of the things that it was uh, most infamous for was uh, because it was tough to be a Christian there. In fact, it was a huge city. It was actually the fourth largest city in all of the Roman Empire. So it's a big city, and it was infamous a bit because of its idolatry. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but Ephesus actually had one of the seven wonders of the world. Did you know that? It was in Ephesus, and that was the Temple of Artemis which was this huge, massive temple. And there's a connection to this even in the Bible. In Acts chapter 19, you can read how Paul's preaching in Ephesus almost caused this massive riot amongst the followers of Artemis, who were from this temple, from this seventh wonder of the world. Okay, so that's kind of the background of the time and the period in which Paul is writing and the people he's writing to. So let's, let's grab a Bible. There's Bibles underneath uh, the chair in front of you, or if you're in the front row, they're under your chair. I'd love for you to grab it. We're so thankful to have Bibles again uh, back in here, which is so great. So we don't put it on the screen or anything because we want you to pick it up, see it, look at it, uh, and be able to read it with your own eyes. And so we are on page 798, and what we're going to do with Ephesians is we're actually going to divide it into two separate series. And so we are going to do chapters one through three of the letter this fall, and they're kind of a unique theme. It's really focused on God's remarkable redemption of us. And then Paul kind of switches subjects a little bit when he gets to chapter four, and so we're going to do a separate series, kind of maybe early to springish of 2024 on chapters four through six, because chapters four through six are honestly some of the most practical areas in all of the Bible. Uh, Paul goes into things like conflict management and forgiveness and marriage and workplace interaction and all those things, and we're going to cover that in a separate series in uh, a little bit later. So here we are with chapter one, verse one, so right at the beginning of Ephesians. Here is how the letter starts. It says, Paul, and you always start out in the ancient days with who, who's writing the letter. You say your name first. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay, so the first couple of verses, it's like the standard introduction to an ancient letter, right? And then Paul says, praise God. Why? Because God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then what we're going to see over these subsequent verses is Paul's going to start listing out some of these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And really what we're going to see is the more closely that you look at these blessings— the more closely that you look at these rocks of truth, the more you're going to discover that they are actually gems. And the more that you see that they are gems, the more you're going to actually be able to live your life praising God, as Paul said. 
it kind of, it's like this. It reminds me of uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia. If, if you haven't, are you even alive? Uh, <laughs> in, the second, in the second book, uh, which is Prince Caspian, there's this part where Lucy, who's one of the main characters, and she has such great faith. When Lucy sees Aslan, having not seen him for a really long time, and she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And he looks back at her and he says, that's because you've grown. And she goes, is, it's not because you've grown? And Aslan says, no, every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And Lewis is getting at this idea of when you dive deeper into who God is, he will actually get bigger. He will get more remarkable in your mind. The great Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, if you think little of what God has done for you, you will do very little for him. But if you have a great notion of his great mercy to you, you will be greatly grateful to your gracious God. So here's the deal. If you want to be passionate about God again, I pray that you do, and you want your life, your life to be glorifying God, then it actually starts with you understanding the beauty, the gems of his gospel. That is what he did for you. So what we're going to see in our passage today is four different gems of the gospel. So let's take a look at the first one. You ready? Okay, so let's move to verse 4 now. Verse 4 says this. It says, For he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So this says, Before the world was even created, that God, if you are a believer in Jesus, that God chose you. And we're actually going to see even stronger language uh, in the next verse where it's going to say that he predestined you to become a part of his family. Now, one of the things that happens for some of you when you read these verses is your theological alarm bells start going off, right? And you're going, oh, beep, 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 this, oh, I just, that, that sounds like determinism, or that sounds like predestination, or that sounds like Calvinism, right? And it looks like God is doing the choosing instead of us doing the choosing. And some of you would say, and I don't like that. Now, I want you to come back next week because next week we're going to see the same sort of topic come up again in our passage. And so we're going to do a bit of a deeper dive into this age-old debate. And next week we're going to talk about the two major theological frameworks for this issue. And that is Calvinism and Arminianism. And then I will tell you which one is right. Uh, no, I just, I'm just kidding. Maybe. I don't know. You're going you're to have to come back and see. Uh, But for now, okay, to kind of hold us over for the next seven days, uh, let me say this. This is a good principle. When you come to a verse in the Bible that is challenging to your theology, that is what you personally believe about God, you want to be very careful to not bend that verse to fit into your theology. Instead, you always want to be open to say, what does the word of God plainly say? Given its context, many of you learned this in studying God's word in Renovation U this summer. Given its context, given everything around it, what does it say? And so what does this verse say? It says, there's something here for us. It says that God chose you, believers. Before the earth was even made, he saw you and he chose you. And don't just intellectually interact with that, because I think that's what we do when we see verses like this. But this, this, in this section, and these gems are actually almost more for your heart. You, you want to emotionally interact with this. This would be like, okay, if you had a four-year-old daughter, 
And every night when you tucked her in, you said to her, honey, I want you to imagine that all the four-year-old girls in the world are lined up, all of them, and I could only choose just one of them. I want you to know that I would choose you. What are you doing when you say that? You're communicating actually to her heart, right? And my friends, this is why I think it matters that we look closer at this gem. Because if you're here this morning and you are struggling with your faith, or some of you are just struggling with sin, some of you have had just honestly one of the worst months of your Christian faith, even the worst weeks. And some of you I know in your mind right now are going, I don't even know I've been a Christian for a long time, but I don't even know how God could still love me because of what I've done lately. And I'll tell you, I know that he does. You say, well, how do you know that? I'll say, well, because what does it say? It says, the word of God says that he chose you before the world began. So trust me, nothing that you have messed up with right now can change that because he's already chosen you. You see how that's beautiful? It's a beautiful gem if we take it out and we look at it. It's a gospel gem. Okay, let's read the next section and we'll see a second gem. So I'm actually going to start two words before verse 5. So find uh, verse 5, then we'll go two words back. All right, so it says this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So, This is the second gospel gem, number two, that he adopted you. So if you're taking notes, uh, I I want you to see these because these are things that you want to just get not in your head but in your heart. So adoption shows us that it isn't just transactional. It isn't just like I chose you or I forgave you. It says when you believe in Jesus Christ that the king adopts you into his family. Now, Paul's writing, remember, to these Christians in Ephesus. They're a part of the Roman Empire, so we've got to go back to their context when we think about adoption. And for them, if you were adopted into a new family in the Roman Empire, you essentially became like a new person. You were given all of the rights. So I'm talking like the dignity, the, the name, the wealth, the inheritance of your new family. And so the imagery that Paul is invoking here, it's like you and I are, are street kids out in the village, and it's like the king is out of the castle and he sees you and he brings you into the castle and then he brings you into your family. You are adopted. But it's not just that. See, because as adopted children, we now have the rights of his name. Okay, so the next time the devil is lying to you in your thoughts, you can say, you shut your mouth because I'm a child of the king. Right, you see, you have a new name. You're in a new family now. You're an adopted child, so that means that now your inheritance of your new family is unparalleled. Anybody in here with your family, can you beat eternity in paradise? Anybody got that beat with your inheritance? You got like a cabin on Mille Lacs? Well, we've got an, like, an inheritance of eternity in paradise, right? That's our new family. As an adopted child, God is no longer just some figure or some being out there. God to us is our father, And he wants to know us. And he wants to talk to us. You see what we're doing? What we're looking, we're looking closely at the gospel here. Not just like God loves us all and we're, it's it's richer than that. It's deeper than that. He chose us. He adopted us. It can't just be a rock on the counter. Look closely at the gem. 
Okay, let's, let's, let's keep reading. We'll get to the third one here. So now we're at verse 6. Verse 6 says this. And God... Oops, I went to chapter 2. Whoops. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead. Spoiler alert. Okay, verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Okay, so this is the third gospel gem. Number three is this, that he freely gave you his grace, which he did by sending Jesus Christ to die in your place. Now, grace is a word that I feel like we throw out a lot, but we don't define all the time. So if you, if you want to write down a definition of grace, it's this. Grace is undeserved favor. That's what grace means when you see it in the scriptures. And I think we need to look a little bit closer at this particular truth, in part because I think we throw out that word a lot without understanding it. So sort of like this. You can think of it this way. Okay, let's say that somebody told you that while you were gone this week that your neighbor came over and paid one of your bills and you should be grateful. Okay, now if someone tells me that, I think you would want to know, like, uh, which bill, right? <laughs> this kind of matters. Like, and I don't know why you guys are laughing at that. I mean, maybe you have some bills you shouldn't be paying. I don't know. <laughs> but let's say, let, okay, let's say this. If they just came over and they paid, like, uh, a $10 bill of yours, you would go, okay, thanks, I guess, right? But let's say they came over and they paid the $200,000 you still owe on your mortgage, right? Okay, now this is a different story, right? Your reaction to that grace is going to be different based upon what they paid for you. And see, let me bring this back to the gospel. I believe that people react differently to God based on how much they think that he paid for them. You know, many people aren't all that excited. They're not all that passionate about God, in part because they don't think that God had to die for all that many of their sins. They think, well, I'm not really that bad of a person. I mean, it's kind of a I mean, in comparison to the person sitting three rows in front of me, like it's kind of a small bill. Okay, this is why in Luke chapter 18, that Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector at the temple. In fact, Luke, in his gospel, when he introduces the story, he says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, their own goodness, Jesus told this story. And the story is this, that the Pharisee goes into the temple to pray, and he just prays about himself. And he says, oh, God, thank you that I am so awesome. And he just lists all of his spiritual accomplishments. And then the tax collector comes up and it says he won't even look up to heaven. And he just beats his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Bible says, and who went home justified in front of God? Who did God use? It's the tax collector. Why? Because he rightly understood God and he rightly understood himself. And listen to me, the gospel will never be a glorious gem to you. And thus, you're never really going to develop this passion, this excitement for God until you first realize that God actually had to lavishly pour out his grace on you, as we're going to read about in verse 8. I mean, essentially, you and I, it's like we were on death row, awaiting our execution for a crime. I mean, can you even imagine what that would feel like? I think about it for a second. Imagine that you were on death row, and you knew you were guilty, right? Then nobody was ever going to find any evidence that was going to overturn it. Like, you did it, you deserved it. And you're sitting there, let's say you're a day away from your execution. But then, out of nowhere, you get pardoned. You get set free. You get forgiven. How would you feel, what would you feel, 
for the person who pardoned you, who set you free, who gave you that grace, which remember is undeserved favor. Okay, that, that, that feeling right there that we're trying to get at, that's what we're trying to get at with the gospel. Because the truth is that you and I were basically sitting on death row. And all the evidence, because of our sins, said that we deserved the eternal death penalty, right? That's death by a fire that never ends. That's why the Bible talks about hell. But Jesus, not because of our goodness, not because we deserved it, but because of his grace, came and stepped in and took the eternal death penalty for us with his death on the cross. That is a gloriously beautiful gem of the gospel. And Paul gives us another one. Let's take a look at the fourth one here. So verse 7 now. We'll try and turn to the right chapter. Okay. Verse 7 says this. In him we have redemption. So in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Okay, so this is gospel gem number four, and that is he redeemed you. Again, this is imagery kind of from the Roman Empire. That's a word that we don't use a whole lot. Maybe like you redeem your Kohl's cash, or I don't know if we redeem a lot anymore, right? Just some lady's going to give me an amen on that later or something. Uh, we don't use that a lot, but they use that word all the time, particularly because slavery was all too common in their culture. And if you wanted and you had the means, you could redeem a slave, but it would cost you something. In fact, that word redemption, it always implies that a price needs to be paid to secure something, to set it free. Okay, well, that's the imagery of, of Christianity. It's that we, before we know Christ, that we are like essentially in slavery to our sin, the New Testament says. It's like you're in bondage, in shackles to it, and you can't really change unless someone is going to redeem you from that and set you free. Well, what, what redeems you? What does it say? It's the blood of Jesus. And there's nothing magical about the blood. It's just referring to his death. He paid the payment, the price, the debt that we owed for our sin by dying on the cross for us. And that redeems us. And really, redemption here is kind of a twofold. Like, even if you think about a slave in the Roman Empire, there's this sort of past and present aspect to it, right? That they are now set free from their old life, from the bondage that they had to live in. But also their future is gloriously better. Well, same thing is happening here with the gospel. When you accept Jesus Christ in as your savior, as the leader of your life, and he redeems you, he will set you free from the chains, from the bondage of sin that has been enslaving you. And some of you absolutely need to hear this truth right now. Because the truth is, I don't know how you got to church today or you've been coming the last couple months or whatever, but the truth is you are trapped in bondage. Maybe it's to alcohol. Maybe it's to drugs. Maybe it's to depression or a mindset or a fog over your life. And what I'm telling you from the word of God is that Jesus Christ, if you would give your life to him, Jesus Christ can set you free. And I have seen him do that many, many times with lots of people in this church. And more than change your present, he can also change your future. Because when you put your faith in him that he redeemed you, that he paid the price for your sin, then you don't need to pay the price for your sin, which means you can spend all of eternity in heaven instead of 
hell. You're not guilty. And then you get to live as all of these things. Look at these gems. It's not just like, hey, do you want to know God loves you? It's like, oh, no. This is like the best gift ever, right? You can know that God chose you. He adopted you into his family. He poured out his grace and forgiveness on you, and he redeemed you and set you free. That's the beauty of the gospel. In fact, Christians, I want to give you uh, even a task for this week. When you do uh, your devotions or your quiet time, whatever you call it, when you spend some time with the Lord each day, I want you just one day this week to try one thing. And I want you to journal, whether you, you have like a nice little panda journal. You, I don't know what you have, right? Or you, you, you can type it or you can tap it in your phone if you want. I want you to journal one day. And I want you to pick one of these four gems. And I want you to write a letter to God on it. Just try this out. Just one day on Tuesday or something, write God and say, I'm so thankful for your adoption of me. And write that out. So what are you doing when you do that? It's not just saying, yeah, God loves me. You're getting out your magnifying glass and you're turning the gem over and you're growing deeper in the gospel and what happens is God starts growing bigger to you and changes the way you live. And for those of you that are here and this is really just sort of hitting you for the first time, maybe you just always thought to go to heaven you just have to be a good person. You just have to go to church once in a while. That's not it at all. None of us are good people. We're messy, but Jesus loves us anyway and came to die for us and set us free. But to live in that freedom and that redemption, we have to believe in faith, the Bible says. And so if you want to believe in that for the first time, You want these things for your life. You want to be in his family. You want that inheritance of eternity in heaven. And you want to walk in the grace of Jesus Christ. That's a decision. In fact, it's the most important decision that anyone can make that you can make today that will absolutely change your life. And people make this very decision in our church basically every single week. And some of you, my friend, make it today. And so I want to give you an opportunity what we're going to do here is we're going to go back into worship. Uh, And as we sing these last few songs, to the Christians in the room, what I want you to do is don't just sing with your mouth. Even when we sing, you want to look at the gem. Look at the words. Let them transform your, your mind and your heart. And to anyone else in this room where you're going, I just, I want this. I want to invite God into my life as my savior, my leader. If you want to make that decision, here's how I want you to kind of cross the line today. As we stand up for worship, uh, I want you to just slide out of your row and I want you to just walk back out through those doors. That's kind of your saying of saying, I want to do this. And I will be back there, or our follow-up team will be back there, and we'll receive you in, we'll pray with you, pray for you, and give you some much-needed, important resources to get started in this new life of yours, okay? So anytime during the last two songs, you can get up and slide out there, and we'll meet you and get you started, okay? All right, let me pray. God, we are so thankful and grateful for your grace, that just the gems of your gospel are beautiful. We pray as a church that you would help us even this week begin to just study them more deeply so that you would grow even bigger in our eyes because the truth is, God, you are ginormous. You are so powerful. You are so beautiful. And help us see the truth of that even more. It's in your name we pray. Amen.